2: Small.
3: Welcome to the family with Doug Sprinthal and Andy Brampernard. Doug just said I was terrible on the morning show, so I don't, I don't know if you know if I could be I didn't say anymore. you were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I know you didn't. I'm picking on you. I love picking yeah, on you're, you.
4: Yeah, you're a tough guy when you're seven states away, I've noticed. Well, that's true. That's a very good Get up good here point. and
3: say it to my face. Yeah, pill. <laughs> we will be right back. Kick things off with the family.
4: Walzer Automotive Group is turning over this Walzer commercial to our good friend Michael Bryant, who has some exciting news to share. Mike, you're up. I went in. I
0: went in there today to get uh, oil change and get uh, work done on a fuel pump uh, on the vehicle on a recall that was part of the vehicle, and it, it was amazing. Um, you go in there. I got help by a guy named Mike that did just a great job. And then you sit in there and you wait, and uh, during the time I was waiting, I got a couple of videos. One video was about your car, and then the second video was an actual sh- video of your car and the work they were doing to check your tires and what they were doing to check um, your brakes and if you needed to do anything else. And then, you know, they originally said it was going to last take about three and a half hours, and it was done in an hour and a half. So it was it was amazing. It was just great work, and so I... I called Doug today to tell him I'd be happy to do a commercial for Walzer because it was great work, great service, and, you know, I drank enough coffee to pay for everything <laughs> that was done. So.
4: Well, that, that was at our Toyota store. Um, and thanks, Mike, for, for talking about that. We haven't really talked about it much in public, but it was actually a, an idea that Andrew Walzer had last year is to connect the customers with the people that actually work on the car. It's his, uh, his saying is, you know, let's have the doctors talk directly to the patients rather than going through the receptionist, which, you know, that's really not what a service writer is, but it does allow for direct communications. And these videos are real, people really like that. It's like, God, they're actually, they show me what I need to do to my car and what's cool. So thanks for calling that out. I don't even know if we have a name for it. Just go to a Walzer store and have your car serviced and get a personal video. You can it share it with your friends. You can share it with your friends.
0: It works your own car. When I, said, when I heard that I was going to get a video, I, didn't, you know, I figured it was going to be some. you know, just basically Propaganda.
4: Go thing. ahead was, and say it.
0: When it was my car, you know, it was my car, and they were actually showing me stuff in my car, that was great. And and the service was just fabulous, so they do a great job down there.
4: Another...
1: keep on me you use me.
3: God, Doug, you sound really good on that song.
4: Yeah. Well the, the you cool know. little guitar part in there is me i
3: know it is i that's what i'm saying you sound really what do you think i was ripping you like you always ripped me is you no you're no, saying? no
4: no 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 by speaking of which when we get the album done we'll play some of it on one of the podcasts there's a couple of songs that feature that stratocaster you gave me about was know. that a year and a half ago or whenever at least yeah it's perfect on and it just sounds it it's record, a great it, guitar yeah it records really really well
2: let's see if mike's still on the line i think he is mike hey is still Brian. there no, he nope. went
3: back to work, I guess.
2: Doesn't
3: look like it. Oh, well. I don't know about back to work. Let's not get just, carried away.
4: I'm being kind because he listens to all these. You are. He
3: does. He listens to that every show. I know that. That is absolutely right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I just saw a story. I haven't clicked on this story yet, so I don't know what this means. But um, the headline in the story, so it shows a bunch of sushi, sushi? right? And it says, Taiwan asks people to stop changing names to salmon. What? Mm. What does that mean? Dozens of people have altered their monikers to take advantage of restaurant sushi promotion. A restaurant chain promotion has led to what local media is calling salmon chaos in Taiwan, where people are now changing their names to get free or discounted sushi. The Central News Agency reports the two-day offering from Sushiro... Entitles anyone whose name includes the Chinese characters "Guiju," uh, which translate to salmon, to receive a free all-you-can-eat meal for themselves and five companions. So, to get salmon, uh, to, to get salmon sushi for six people, you'll change
4: your name.
2: It yeah, seems and like it, what's more, worse is
4: you'd have to put up with how "Guijuan."
2: Nah. Yeah, huh? it's Hel probably Guizhouen. a very common joke in China. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. I'm sure it is. Those Chinese probably comedians. true. No
3: question about it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, yeah, you can get free sushi for you and five other people, but you have
2: to change your name. But they don't want anybody to change their name anymore. They're done with it. Well, They're I feel fed like up. The process to change your name would be almost as expensive as the sushi itself. So, you would think. How does
3: that work? It doesn't work at all. It doesn't work at all, as a matter of fact. Mm. Um, I have a question for both of you guys because it's something that came up this morning. Um, uh, there was an article in the Star Tribune this morning concerned that the uptick in violence toward Asian Americans, uh, the Star Tribune has a fear that's going to start happening. But I don't, you think Minnesotans, I, I understand the dimwits, some morons think that, oh, it's because China did this, we're going to attack all Asians. I don't see Minnesotans doing that, do
4: you? I. I- if you do see it, hopefully it's a really small segment of the population. I, you know, it's and it and it's terrible that it happens. I mean, just innocent yeah. citizens getting beat up because of where you know their genetic makeup. That's just stupid. And I I would hope that most people <laughs> see the idiocy in that. My kids are half Korean, and I was asking them about that the other day, and they're like, Yeah, no, nobody says anything to us. So,
3: well, that's good. That's a good sign. I I just don't I don't understand why this whole situation. And from what I understand, what I was told by by some of my friends who who are black, is that a lot of black people and Asians are getting in battles now. Which I what's that all about? Well, that's kind of
4: always happened. Um, you know. Oh, has it really? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Remember the movie "Do the Right Thing"? The the, the uh, yeah. The, yep. the, uh, a lot of the black actors in that you know their characters were really mad at the Koreans for. Uh, you know, there there is a sentiment in some big cities, New York, one is that the you know the Koreans moved into the you know the black neighborhoods, took over the grocery stores, and they're just ripping oh, people yeah. off. That's not so that's been going on for a long time, thirty or forty years. So, but yeah, I don't I think don't all know. black people hate all Asian people. That's just you know you no. can't paint everything with a broad brush. I mean, but there is some basis and, and reality to that. I think. All
3: right. Uh, well, once again, you know, white people are the worst human beings on earth, which is uh, just a touch racist. I think. I mean, I happen to be a honky, so I don't really understand how you can take millions and millions and millions of people and judge them by their skin color. How stupid are you?
2: Yeah, stupid that is as every sight. human ever born in history. Apparently.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess. I. I don't understand it. I really. I really do not understand. Where this hatred, well, I do understand where it came from. It came from digital, which you were warned about a decade ago this was going to be happening. You cannot turn a wide open forum over to morons because they're going to do exactly what they did. They're going to puke out their hatred and it's going to carry over on other people. It's not, wouldn't you say 95%? I don't go on social media. But when you say about ninety-five percent of people, ninety-seven percent of people wouldn't think of saying the things that those few few percentage people do.
4: Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. God,
3: I mean, you hate everybody. Jesus, how? Why do you want to hate people? I don't really understand. that. I don't get it. Look, I know people have their their faults and their foibles and all the rest of it. I mean. Human beings are far too interested in money for me. Money, money, money. Oh, God, anything for money. Um, so I, I, that's the one part of humans I don't like. Politicians in general are greedy pricks and big tech. I mean, you, you, they have way too much in. I, we were talking about this this morning. When I was a kid, I remember my father was very, very excited. Uh, and he eventually lost his job and it ruined his life. But I remember my father bringing home five twenty-dollar bills because he had cha- cast his check, and he laid the five $100 or one hundred-dollar dollar bills, uh, excuse me, five twenty-dollar bills, on a table and said, "God, look how much money we have." I remember that I was like three years old. Yeah, and I remember that. And then, you, of course, uh, you move forward to the oh man, if I could ever make fifteen grand a year, that'd be a lot of dough, man. Making fifteen grand a year. Now, if you're a millionaire, who gives a rat's ass? They nose. don't even care about a millionaire anymore. That's right. Isn't that
4: amazing? Yeah, well, it's the scale that changes, obviously. And you yeah. know, adjusted for inflation and all that stuff, we're really not wealthier now than we were 20 years ago. For the most part. Some people are. But yeah. Yeah. The the if you take the yeah. classes like the, where most of us live, mm-hmm. and between uh, yep. lower middle and upper middle class, that is, you know, even though dollar-wise we're making more money, we really aren't. Right.
3: Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, basically. uh, Well, Mike Evans talked about uh, this morning. He said he guarantees by midsummer, gas in California is going to be
4: six dollars
3: a gallon. I don't doubt
2: it. Well, Europe's gas prices have been that awful or more for basically ever.
4: You know, it's it's interesting because some things have gotten a lot cheaper, even not adjusted for inflation. I mean, Tom, Any you remember in the 60s, if cheaper. you had a color TV, yeah. you were like a oh, God, billionaire because yeah. they were like, you know, $600, dollars oh, yeah. six hundred nineteen yep. sixty-five dollars
2: Let's see. $1965, yep. 600 bucks. That'd be $5,000. I was going to say
4: 4 or 5 grand now. Yeah, that's <laughs> 5 grand. And now you can Jeez. get a, you know, you can buy a lower resolution 60-inch flat screen if you watch the sales yeah, for a for couple like hundred bucks. $250.
2: Yeah, it's crazy how cheap TVs have gotten. Well, like and like I said, any tech, I mean a 1 terabyte hard drive 15 years ago would have yeah, been unthinkable right. for most people yeah, but now you yeah. can get one for god probably 80 bucks on amazon
4: the, the one thing that has it you know it's counters that is is housing prices the amount of money it takes you know apartment rents used to right, be a right. you know weeks income if you were you know making 30 or 40 grand a year or whatever and now it's
2: it's right. you,
4: one-bedroom well, apartments in Minneapolis are $1,200 and more.
2: A big part of that Jesus. is because the cities have gotten so big. I mean, yeah. 50, 60 years ago, people weren't all in the cities like they are now. They weren't all renting apartments, no. luxury apartments in the city. A lot of people are living outside of the city. They were on you know, family-owned farms or they were out in like the suburbs. And those prices are still much cheaper than the city, and they always will be. But you you do have to compare, like, what is my house like compared to the house that my grandparents grew up in? Yeah, Because your grandparents' house, I'm guessing, didn't have a lot of the things your house does.
4: No. Oh, no. You're absolutely right. Yep. Even the st- you, you didn't have air conditioning in your house when you were a kid, did you, Tom? No. Yeah, nope. no. Our way. house has a dedicated outlet and...
2: for a window AC unit. Yeah.
4: None, uh, nobody had that <laughs> mm-hmm. in, in Massachusetts no, in the no. 60s. It yep. was just unheard of.
2: Yeah, no uh, central air, uh, forced air heating was somewhat rare. Yeah, we That's had oil burners in don't... the East Coast. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. Oil
4: furnaces yeah. and and, uh, and hot water heaters.
2: Yep, and radiators. Uh, your house definitely wasn't hooked up for the Internet. Oh. If it was hooked up for the phone, you were kind of lucky in some places. yeah um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, the, just the amount of things that go—it's like cars. You compare a car 40 years ago to a car today; yeah. they're basically unrecognizable because of all the crap that they pack into these cars. So they obviously they're getting way more expensive, but you are paying for more. And I don't not a
4: whole lot if you look at it. It's actually surprisingly close. I you know I think the thing that the modern cars lack that the cars we grew up with in the 50s and 60s is really style. That's, you know, they're just, those 60s cars were beautiful and some of the stuff in the 50s. As actual automobiles, they weren't particularly great. I mean, they didn't handle very well. They true. weren't very safe. They required yes, a lot of maintenance. Awful. They, if you had a 100,000-mile car, that was something special. Mm-hmm. We get right. calls every day at the Walter stores from people that are pissed because they need a new water pump in a car with 120,000 miles on it. It's like, you know, it, you're going to have to spend some money on it sooner or later. Yeah. So,
3: no, I had no question about it. You know, I was thinking about this. It, there was an economic crash, I believe it was in 1955 or 56. It's
4: actually 58, because I happen to know <laughs> well, that, because that was okay. the year I was born. Right. It was
3: a big recession. Oh, was, okay.
2: Well, look
4: at Huge.
3: that. Huge. Because I was talking about my dad getting that big raise up to 100 bucks a week, $5,200 a year was huge dough. We lived in a downtown Minneapolis apartment right off of Loring Park called Spruce Place. Mm-hmm. It's still there. The building's still there. We lived in a downtown apartment, a three-bedroom apartment. We had a brand-new 1950, well, I guess it would have been a 57 uh, For 56 Ford, I think it was actually mm-hmm. beautiful sedan. I mean that we had nice clothes I went to uh, the Basilica I You know went to a private school the whole deal and that crash in 58 it ended my father's career oh, no. never really worked again um, But you think about that it's a situation where where we what we were just talking about my father made a hundred dollars a week Which to fill up one of my two mafia cars, as Catherine calls them, a week's income before taxes would not have been enough to fill that car up in California this summer. Isn't that crazy?
2: <laughs> well, to be fair, in, so this yeah. year, this would have been, what, 1957, you're yeah, talking about?
3: 57, 58. Yeah, 57, 58,
2: uh, yep. $5,200 was 48000 so that's actually not a terrible amount of money, even by today's So it standards. would have been... F- would have been forty eight thousand bucks today. Yeah. So he was he was taking home forty eight thousand dollars. So that's really not bad.
3: Oh yeah, he was. He, that was a big deal, man. It was like, look how much money it we have. My money. Money. God. It, it was a lot of money.
2: Sounds stupid that hundred dollars was a lot of money, but it was. <laughs> exactly.
4: Well, and what's that's if, how much you know exchange, one of the though. things that's different is you could actually raise a family on that back then, and now it, it would be really hard. To oh. it, it, You'd it, have to some move
2: somewhere that it's cheap. Yeah, that's the big thing: is people all want the convenience of more expensive areas, but then they're more expensive. Right. So it's kind of yeah. like you know, do you want to be able to walk to you know seventeen different Asian taco fusion restaurants? And
4: no, I want a fusion taco restaurant. One is enough. For one me. is
2: plenty. <laughs> you know but it's like? You know, like oh God. Moving, living in New York City. You don't live there because it's affordable. No. Uh, And if you're willing to live 45 minutes an hour outside the city, you could raise a family on that, most likely, if you're willing to do a whole lot of commuting and a whole lot of staying at home. Yep.
3: I could see that, absolutely. Well, I do remember, I can't remember which one it was. Uh, It was one of uh, Michael, uh, Mm. what the hell is his name? Bilsky. What was the name of that? Bryant. Yeah, it's Bilsky. Yeah, exactly. No, Michael Myers, uh, that character, what the hell is his name? His kooky Italian, I mean, English spy character. Oh, what was his uh, Austin name again? Powers. Austin Powers, yeah. Austin Powers. Remember the Mr. The Dr. Evil? Mm-hmm. If you don't you bring it to me now... <laughs> I'll
4: charge you one million dollars, and everybody million. starts laughing. at yeah, Robert Conrad this. goes, "You know, it's really not worth what it was when you went into prison."
3: You <laughs> <laughs> know, it was fantastic. It was fair. One million. They're like, ha, ha, ha. "Who cares?" <laughs> they didn't care at all. That was a that was a good series of movies. Oh, our uh, guests are calling again. Really? Oh, okay, well, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back with our guests right after this. All right. Tom Bernard here with my buddy and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Michael, you work with many different types of businesses. Can you tell me
4: about one of them? Sure, Tommy. Theory Z Media started two years ago as a digital media agency. They wanted to build it their way, the same way our team built the bank. To do what they love, but also in the way that suited their lives and growing families. We helped them navigate the Paycheck Protection Program loan process when the pandemic started, so they could keep expanding their business.
3: The pandemic hit many local businesses hard, and I know North American Banking Company's been right there to help many of them.
4: Right, and it's something we're continuing to do as a bank that is invested in the growth and success of our customers and the community. Theory Z Media is now a million-dollar company and are growing with the help and resources that our team was able to provide.
3: Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender? As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the new Giza Dream Sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners. You buy one set, get another set absolutely free. We're rocking out, man. That's all I know. Yeah, baby. I said rocking out. Ladies and gentlemen, with so many many employees working from home, what's going to happen to all the office buildings? Will America's downtown metros remain ghost towns? The other side of success is the name of the book: Money and Meaning in the Golden State. Our special guest, Martin Sawah. How are you doing, Martin?
1: Fine, Tom. Thanks so much for having me on.
3: Well it's a pleasure to have you on I'm telling you we were just in a way talking about this we were comparing nineteen uh, fifty five dollars with twenty twenty one dollars and man a hundred dollars was worth a lot in the mid fifties
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's for
3: sure no doubt about it, it it's going to be interesting Martin because people are working from home. Uh, a lot of people, of course, in Minneapolis, one of the first places that caught on fire, uh, you know, a year ago, I guess in May, it, it'll be a year. But a lot of people I know are questioning whether they'll ever return to work in downtown Minneapolis. They don't consider it to be safe anymore. And if you can work from home, I mean, you make the point that, uh, you know, people are, are, are getting paid. They can work from anywhere, still making that San Francisco, New York kind of money. Are they ever going to return to work in a, in a commercial building? What do you think?
1: Well, I I just think it depends a lot on the type of business and the uh, paying uh, San Francisco wages across the country. uh, I don't think many companies are going to be doing that. No. Uh, The ones that can are largely probably uh, remote work already and, you know, know what the cost is to them and so forth. But I think there will be a pretty fundamental shift uh, for remote work. Uh, here in California, uh, where I cut my teeth in San Francisco and Los Angeles, uh, the downtowns have been uh, virtually a ghost town for the last mm-hmm. year. And uh, it won't be till, you know all the restrictions are fully lifted that we're going to see that kind of occupancy. Uh, but some firms in San Francisco, some tech firms were already moving to Texas before COVID. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, most people think uh, that uh, the average employer will adopt some kind of hybrid where people come in a couple of days a week and uh, sure. then work from home.
3: That makes sense. You know, I just did notice something, Martin, and I have to warn our listeners here in Minnesota. Yes, Martin is a Badger fan, but don't hold it against him.
4: Ha, <laughs>
3: Boo. <laughs> <laughs> They're booing you, Martin. Well. <laughs> yeah. Martin. Martin went to the University of Wisconsin, baby, received a B.A. from the University of Wisconsin. Great school. It is a great school. University of Minnesota, University of Wisconsin. Hey, look, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin should just all be the same state anyway. It's true.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I I was born uh, just downriver in Prairie du Chien. So. Oh, yeah.
3: I love that prairie dish. No question native. about that. A oh, Wisconsin native went to the University of Wisconsin. Ended up uh, going to San Jose State, and you kind of after college, you just kind of stayed out in uh, out in uh, California.
1: Yeah, I, I moved out uh, after I graduated, and uh, never really looked back. I threw out my long underwear somewhere near Kansas, <laughs> and, uh,
3: <laughs> right out the car, right out the window. I like that. Uh, You know, it's interesting, Martin. I I do a morning radio show as well, and we have four people on the show. Two of them are in a a studio in Minneapolis. Another one is in a studio in Montana, and I'm in a studio in Palm Beach, Florida. So uh, you talk about working from anywhere. You couldn't get farther apart to do a morning talk show, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Man.
1: Yeah, and, you can you know, have hosts in different countries and uh, show broadcast in in a different city or country. It's just amazing, though.
3: Know? It <laughs> is absolutely. What, Martin? What do you think of? Uh, now, I, I should mention that uh, Martin is a commercial real estate entrepreneur. Martin Sawa. Uh, spent his career selling commercial real estate, skyscrapers, office buildings, retail parks, the whole shooting match. One of the concerns we have in Minneapolis right now, because, you know, the George Floyd situation, the rioting did start pretty much right away and Target Corporation just announced they're going to take about 35% of the people out of downtown Minneapolis and move them elsewhere, that's going to hurt all those restaurants, the the retail outlets. What are we going to do about something like that? What would you do about something like that, Martin? Is there any way to entice people, to lure people back downtown?
1: Well, we have the same problem out here uh, in right. San Francisco, uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, not just downtown, but in other neighborhoods. Uh, right. You know, issues with uh, with the homeless and what I call unsupervised encampments. And yeah. g- generally just uh, a breakdown in the rule of law. And uh, I'm not even talking necessarily about policing and crime, but just kind of a respect for property and whatnot. So it, it's it's a real problem. And until... The voters and the residents vote in people who, you know, are willing to do the right thing. Uh, I don't. I don't see an, an easy answer.
3: Martin, is there a, is there too much to gain for politics? And I'm not condemning all politicians, just most of them, because. If there's any money to be made from this kind of thing for a politician, they're not going to do anything to end it because they're making money from it. You know, they're getting more votes. They're getting more donations. The donations have gone psychotic in this country now, all based on what has happened in the past year, not only COVID, but the riots and the burning and all the rest of it. So I don't know. I, I, I just, I would like to believe we could bounce back. But do you think, it I don't know. There's no way it's ever going to go back to what it was a year and a half ago, is it?
1: I, I don't think so, and I'm not sure yeah. really where the country is headed, uh, you know, I'm I mean I have a of... uh, pretty large family, kids, stepkids, grandkids, extended families, uh, and uh, I just try to help prepare them as best as possible for for a world that, you know, I, I wouldn't have imagined I things I see in my lifetime. So I'd, mm-hmm. I'd like to be more optimistic, but, you know, I want to be candid uh, with your listeners, just in terms of giving my opinion.
3: Yeah, that, I mean, that makes... Compl- but, Martin, you know, I'm, I'm looking at your history. You're a young man. You grew up Prairie du uh, went to the University of Wisconsin. You had a dream... Uh, You go out to San Jose State uh, Master Planning, Urban Planning from San Jose State University. You have this dream in your head. You have this desire to go in and develop cities and commercial real estate and all. I mean, this was your life dream, wasn't it, Martin?
1: Yeah, I I got into the business probably different than most people, uh, young people do today. Uh, I was working in uh, San Jose as a city planner and living in Oakland, which was uh, about a 40, 50-mile commute, which was bad even back then. And uh, my wife was pregnant with her daughter, and I was flat broke. So I was almost 30 years old, and I just uh, one day quit my job and got a real estate license and uh, got into investment property sales, uh, which I thought would pay the biggest commission. And uh I went about a year uh without making a dime and had you know mm. to kite credit cards and do whatever I needed to do to support the family uh but then uh once I broke in uh, it uh it it got pretty exciting so that was that was my start uh, but there was always the you know the American dream and the California dream where but a little hard work and some luck, and just given the opportunity, uh, there's no guarantees, but given the opportunity, uh, you can succeed.
3: Yeah, I see that that's a wonderful way to look at it, Martin. I really, really like that. You, you got to work hard, you got to get after it. Uh, everyone, and I do believe you're right. I think in, in America, if you'll roll the dice and you'll take the chance and you'll work really, really hard, I think. America's still America. You can really do well if you're willing to do those things, don't you think?
1: I, I sure do. And again, I look at my family and uh, friends, and uh, in, they each have to find their niche or find it in their own way. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yes, you can do it. It's, it's just things have gotten so confused and the messaging and uh, you know all the stuff you see on your handheld gadgets. It uh, makes it more difficult, um, but uh, it, it can be done, and if you're willing, I guess the best advice I could give is a Japanese proverb, uh, you fall down seven times and get up eight, and, uh, and that's what my parents did when they mm-hmm. uh, lived uh, under Stalin and Hitler in the years before and during the Second World War and then immigrated to America. Afterwards,
3: God, what a story that is! I mean, do you mind talking a bit more about that? Because uh, so this was this was before or or during World War II. When when did they move to America?
1: Uh, well, if those listeners are familiar with history, uh, they lived uh, they grew up in Ukraine. And mm. uh, oh, sure, sure, in a town uh, called or a city called Ternopil and uh I made my first visit back to Ukraine. It was about ten years ago and uh learned more about just uh, the horror of life back then wow. uh, and they they escaped uh, when the Red army had had stopped the Germans at Stalingrad and was now pushing them oh. back towards berlin and uh between Hitler and Stalin, it wasn't much of a choice. <laughs> uh, it was the worst possible situation on the either <laughs> Exactly. One. So I, they fled to uh, Anapa, and uh, when when the Red Army uh, was approaching, and then lived day to day, you know, in uh, Europe uh, until the war ended, just trying to dodge death and stay alive. Oh, sure. And then. Uh, after the war ended, they lived in a displaced persons camp, uh, if you've heard of those, because after the war, mm-hmm. there were millions of people just wandering around all over Europe. It was, it was pretty crazy. So they were there for four years until uh, they were allowed to immigrant, immigrate to the America. And I was conceived in one of those DP camps. but. Birthed on U.S. soil after they arrived.
4: So you're oh. an anchor baby.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: yeah, there you go.
4: That, you are that, an anchor baby at works so, out. Can I ask you a quick question? So if I remember my history right, Stalingrad was what? 1944.
1: Uh, Stalingrad was actually uh, uh, 4243.
4: Okay. Yeah. So they were. That wandering was the decisive
1: around, battle of yeah. World War II.
4: So they were wandering around on their own for a couple of years then until the war? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: God, isn't that amazing?
3: What a story that is. You know what? One thing I like to hear about that, Martin, is because uh, we, we're going through this deal right now that apparently America is the worst place on earth and there's no place worse. And how did it go for me, the greatest dream of everyone, to move to America and escape? what was going on in the eastern hemisphere what was going on in a lot of other places in 75 76 years we've gone from the greatest place in the world to oh my god is it horrible can i take
4: take a moment to complain about having to wear a mask at the grocery store
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you thank you so much thank you so much but I, just, I don't know how that happened, though. We, everybody still wants to come here. I mean, obviously, we opened our southern border, and tens of thousands of people are coming in. People still want to come to America. Why are Americans uh, looking down on, on themselves the way they are? How did that happen?
1: That's, that's a great question. And uh, I'm just, for my own personal study, just kind of diving into that as I have time. And right. I haven't formed any conclusions, but uh, I think, uh, you know, my generation, the baby boomers, and right. then there was the crazy 60s, and that kind of opened the portal to freedom and license. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there was rightfully concern for, you know, the people in, uh, you know, who, who, had had less or just couldn't pull themselves up and so I think you know that started uh, you, you know what could have become and well was uh, there was so so much that was gained in the last 50 years but at the same time there was uh, uh, I think a movement and I, I kind of dismissed it but I would call it this uh, postmodern, nihilism, or deconstruction of reality. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of a fringe uh, movement in universities. And it it never made much sense. But I think it gained currency through the years. And a lot of what you're seeing now is based on that. And it wasn't by accident. It was engineered and orchestrated over time. And is just kind of reaching its fruition. And that sounds yep. crazy, but you know that's uh that's what the evidence is showing me as as an example, the San Francisco Unified School District uh about a month ago voted to rename forty four of its public right. schools uh, uh. on on the basis of racism and that word uh, well this this will demonstrate that word doesn't mean much anymore. Uh, on the list uh, was obviously George Washington, and then Abraham Lincoln. That may have raised a few eyebrows. Yeah. Um, but oddly, uh, Diane Feinstein, who is the sitting U.S. senator for California, uh, who's been there for thirty years, a liberal Democrat, and before that was mayor of San Francisco for ten years. Mm. Right. So. If you believe this is about race, as you know, however you you might want to define it, then you're mm-hmm. just uh, you're dreaming.
3: I couldn't agree more, Martin. Do you have a few more minutes? I need to take a very very quick break. Can you come back and spend a few more minutes with us? Oh sure. Okay, we'll take a very just a couple of minute break. We're back with Martin. So. Uh, Uh, The book, ladies and gentlemen, The Other Side of Success, Money and Meaning in the Golden State. It's available on Amazon, which means it's available everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. Right back with Martin and Doug and Andy right after this. Dan Chesky is here from Dan's Southside Marine to talk boats in February.
4: 2021 is all about boat inventory or the lack thereof. Dan's has what you're looking for in the color and model you want.
3: Showing off again, ladies and gentlemen.
4: That's not me, it's Ted Watson. Ooh.
3: I know, Ted Watson, you told me that before. It's a hell of a drummer. He's really a great good drummer. Drum. We are back, Martin Soa, uh, our very special guest. So many employees working from home. What's going to happen to all the office buildings? Will America's downtown metros remain ghost towns? See, even reading that, Martin, it breaks my heart because when I was a little boy, I could walk from our neighborhood in North Minneapolis to downtown Minneapolis and... I mean, as an 8-year-old, 9-year-old, mostly 9-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, I would go downtown and I'd look at all these big buildings and I'd go, man, I want to work down here someday. I'd look at these high, fancy restaurants and go, someday I'm going to make enough money to be able to eat there. And a couple of those restaurants are still uh, still, uh, in business. I just hope they survive this, Martin. I really do. It's been a lifelong thing. I love downtown Minneapolis, but, man, it's a little unsettling right now
1: yeah it's it's been tough uh I felt the same way uh, before I moved to California. I hitchhiked out here and um uh, took drive away cars for, uh the listeners that remember what those were and I remember the first time i hitchhiked up to, I, I was coming from l a up the coast to San Francisco and just uh, getting dropped off downtown and kind of wandering. Among the high rises and just uh, you know, dreaming bigger dreams. So, but uh, yeah, it's it's not like that anymore.
3: Yeah, it is not like that anymore. And Martin, I tell you, I'm, my son Andy is on the show with us today, and I, I, it kind of makes me feel bad for for people Andy's age and, and younger because are they going to get the same opportunity to to live the dream they've wanted to live? I mean, is it, Andy, what do you think? Do you think you'll be able to live your dream?
2: I think uh i mean you can't live what the dream was 30 40 years ago no but you can live a different kind of dream as long as you're willing to adapt you know it's it's like you know two three hundred years ago if you wanted to be you know like a premier blacksmith you go right ahead you want to be a blacksmith today you might want to uh change (laughs) change your future because you're not going to do very well it's but today everything is web based everything is on the cloud everything is remote and you just kind of have to accept the fact that that's where everything's going you know everything is big business now the uh, yeah. the idea of like just starting up a the idea of being being the bill, next bill gates going into your garage making windows and all of a sudden you're a billionaire that's not as attainable as it was 30 years ago. But there are still definite avenues for success.
4: That, that was always a moonshot though, I mean, well, most people course, come yeah. along one or two every generation. I yeah. think, you know, if you're good at something, what it is going to open up is more opportunities. Because, you know, we're doing a lot right. of, I'm working with a software company that Walzer started. And we're able to hire people now from all over the world because we don't have to get together other than yep. sit in front right. of horrible Zoom right. meetings, which totally blow. Everyone but hates those. when you think about it, you know, a, a, as little as a year ago, if you were going to hire a software engineer. Chances are you would have to, you'd be restricted to a fifty-mile radius of your company, right? Yep. And now you'd it's, have to go
2: in and program on the mainframe because right. you didn't have a computer that could handle that kind of thing at yeah. home. And even if you did, how do you get the code over to your company? Well, so and the internet was slow. There was slow a, an, and, an,
4: allergic, an, a, an allergic reaction from employers. It's like, well, we can't have people not working in the you know, the yeah. big hive. What it was are, unheard of. What yeah. are they going to do if they're unsupervised? All hell will break loose. And mm-hmm. now they're going, oh yeah, now I got my pick of employees from all over the globe. So I think that you're right. You can't have a four-year-old dream, but the the opportunities will always present themselves. There's always going to be some
2: that. sort of opportunity, Good. basically, no matter where you are, you know, with certain exceptions, of course. But
4: whale oil sales, yeah, not being a very
2: great career. No, you can't. yeah, whale oil probably not the best. And you're right about I that. S- I scribe
3: hieroglyphics.
2: How <laughs> yeah, much do you want to
3: pay me? <laughs> there you go, Martin. I I do have to ask you a question. <clears throat> As I pointed out that. You know, I'm in one place and the people are in another place and all the rest of it. There's a building being built just on a block from where I am right now. It's uh, looked to be about five, six stories, something like that. It takes up about oh, I'd say a quarter a quarter of a city block. And the amazing thing about it is I was talking into, to the developer and it's what people under 30, well, under 35 I guess is the way he put it. There's not one apartment in that building that's bigger than a thousand square feet most of them are around 700 square feet people don't is that is that nor I mean you it's your business um, you you've been in this business your whole life is that a prudent idea do you think it's a good idea it's like hey we want to you know we want to just live in 700 800 900 square feet we don't need this big a deal blah 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 um, do you think that's the future uh, it's
1: it's a complicated uh, issue. Just, just in listening to you guys talk, uh, as an example, my stepson, I uh, just uh, got a job. He doubled his salary uh, you know, with a tech company in the uh, state of Washington. And mm-hmm. they're, they're almost 100% remote work. They've got people in India, Croatia, all over the place. And he loves it, and that's what he's good at, <laughs> and he he will he will do quite well. And he says, I, I may never step into an office building again for the rest of my life. Yeah. And for him, he's uh, paraplegic, and it just he prospered during COVID. Uh, for other people, it, the the forecast isn't so good if you don't have that skill level, and. The, the tech revolution, I think, is a little different than the industrial revolution because uh, it's affected now services and, you know, uh, not just uh, heavy industry. So there are going to be a lot of people without the skills, and machine intelligence uh, will even accelerate that process. So uh, you got to really pick and dedicate yourself to the niches that are going to prosper. In in terms of the real estate, uh, even like uh, whether an apartment or an office building, what that meant, you know, even a few years ago, it, it's constantly changing, and I, I think the young people who uh, want to live uh, that kind of lifestyle and be uh, in the central core area and have the restaurants and all of that, uh, th- that's that's. The market for that particular developer but as they get older i think more now of the uh, you know millennials and, and others are going to be moving uh, you know to suburban locations to uh, start families because the downtown core just in terms of raising kids isn't you know isn't a great idea for most people
3: no, and it's, it's funny because, I was, as I said, I was talking to a developer because he was on site that day, and I said, I have to ask you a question. You don't have to tell me the truth if you don't want to, but did you design this building in a way that if the 700, 800-square-foot apartment uh, falls out of favor, can you take a few walls out and turn every place into a 1,600 or 2,400 square foot residence, because you just take three of the smaller ones, put them together. Now you got a really nice size apartment. And he said, maybe. (laughs) 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 That was very funny. I thought it was great.
1: Well, every every employer now is reevaluating remote work. Uh, That has direct implications for the real estate and how you configure an office building and the space and Sure. Uh, you, you're probably no longer going to have these uh, cubicles jammed in there, but kind of open areas and sheltered workspaces and, you know, new uh, hygiene and HVAC and all kinds of things. So uh, the nature of the build out is, is changing too. The outside will look the same, but the inside will be a lot different.
3: Yeah, that's exactly what this guy was talking about. It will look a lot different from now on. That was his vision of the whole thing, which I believe to be true. I I just I think you do have to be prudent about this, though. You know, don't lock yourself into these tiny apartments, uh, because if you do and you have no way to, I suppose you can always tear a wall down, even if you didn't design it that way. But it'd be a lot easier if you could make it, you know, just, hey, look, we need a couple of places to be 2400 square feet now and, and just do it. So that that does make And I got the impression from the look in his eye that that's, that's exactly what he was doing. Do we have to be a lot more adaptable to making things bigger and making things smaller as time moves on? Because people seem to be changing their minds quite often now about how they want to live, how big a place they want, how hard they want to work. A lot of people don't want to work 40 hours a week anymore. Have you run across that, Martin?
1: Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Oh. oh, yeah. That's been the case oh, for a yeah. long time, but uh, it's, <laughs> no, you you either are committed or you're not. What uh, One of the central themes of my book, The Other Side of Success, is the idea of putting skin in the game. And mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything more important uh, in my business or, or my personal life, for that matter, uh, that... In business, it, it can be money, it can be time, it can be reputation, but you have something at risk, and you have particularly downside risk. Okay, If, if you, you make poor choices, you, you pay the consequences. Um, people today are being lulled into the sense that they can achieve success without meaningfully putting skin in the game. Oh, and, yeah, And that's, uh, that, that's kind of a tragedy. But uh, all the, the images you see on TV and on, on your computer screen and your iPhone and all the noise and all the misinformation. But if somebody presents an image enough time, people start to believe it as if it's real. And so that makes it even harder the uh, young people they they can get confused pretty easily.
3: I could see that. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is called The Other Side of Success, Money and Meaning in the Golden State. It's on Amazon. It's available everywhere. Martin's name is spelled S. A. W. A. Martin Sawa. Martin, you've been a terrific guest. I appreciate your time today, sir.
1: Thanks so much, Tom.
3: Absolutely. Have a good day, sir. You too. We will take a break. Be back right after this.